it was the people. When they told me the number of people I made at that time, I was employee number 36. There was only 35 employees prior to me. And at then, through public records, pay, you know, above, slightly above a billion dollars for the brand. I mean, they <laughs> of the productivity of the individuals. So I told myself, I am going to be able to learn so much more from this team. And hopefully I can help bridge whatever we need to get to. And together we can, you know, instead of one plus one equals to two, we could be one plus one equals to 11. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Jui Wong is the CEO of Olaplex. Olaplex? is one of the top independent hair care brands in the world. Ms. Wong has extensive experience in scaling business and financial performance for all classes of business from emerging businesses, middle market growth organizations, and established legacy companies. She has strategic and operating expertise in digital and technology-driven platforms of growth. Prior to joining Olaplex, Jui served as a global chief executive officer of Moroccan Oil Inc. from 2017 to 2019. The president of Elizabeth Arden from 2015 to 2017. She's an incredible story, an incredible leader. And I started by asking Jui about her early influences. Every time you kind of look back and it's no accident who we become, because we are a combination and a reflection of our history. I grew up in Singapore, where I was primarily the majority ethnic group uh, in a very small nuclear family, because at that time, the Singapore government basically said, stop at two. And education was the number one thing for us to distinguish ourselves. So I come from that kind of a background. And when I grew up in Singapore, that was how I always saw myself, you know, education first, and then give yourself the opportunity to really have the world almost like your oyster. And so I did go to school in Australia for my college years, primarily because the Singapore government in their infinite wisdom would make a decision for you when you apply to college where you should be actually focusing. For me, they wanted me to focus on business administration. And I'm like, I don't think I'm very good at that, which included accountancy. So I went to Australia to do law and political science. And when I graduated, I then told myself I wanted to go to London to complete my uh, master's because I already did a stint of an exchange scholarship year at UCLA in the U.S. So in my mind, I wanted Mm. to be able to say I was in Australia, in the U.S., and then eventually in Europe through the, the London School of Economics. But in life, the best laid out plan never kind of goes and <laughs> Never. So what happened was I, while I did get the scholarship to LSE, I was also offered a job with Cargill as a trader training. And I said, look, why don't I do this? Work one year, get the resources so that when I go to the UK, I go to London, I at least have some money under my belt. Well, it never happened because I started working for Cargill and it sent me to Hong Kong, London, Geneva, Thailand. And then in that process, I also got married and have kids. And so, you know, everything then got put on the back burner when it came to uh, LSE. But I never regretted it because 
my seven years with Cargill helped me see the world. And I ended up trading from agricultural soft commodities to crude oil and forex, which really is the genesis of my taking interest in the business world. And it gave me the exposure, the experience, and the expertise in numbers, even though I wasn't a finance uh, graduate. So uh, it set me up really nicely for the next phase of my career, so to speak. Yeah, it's interesting how when you look back and you think about it and you realize why you went through certain things, how it got you to where you are, it's kind of perfect the way it worked. But in a lot of cases, you know, as you said, I love to say is, you know, humans make plans and and God laughs. I think it's a, a, an old proverb, but for you growing up, And it's really interesting not being able to choose, let's say, coming from Singapore, what you want to study and and focus on. But was there any influences, um, parents, uh, relatives that maybe made you think that business was for you? Yeah, I think how it all happens is the usual. I watch a lot of American television. You know, there was a lot of, you know, only the successful uh, movies show people, you know, who can make it. They they have everything they want. The, the working hard bit wasn't really always shown, but somehow the payoff <laughs> was very good. And I basically made a deal with my mom. I told my mom, look, this is what I want in life. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a punctuation of the world. Because if you look at Singapore, it's so small that they cannot even draw out the outline of the country. It's like a full stop on the map. And I told myself, I cannot live in a punctuation. So and that, I think, was a huge motivation for me to really look at where I could go outside of Singapore. And I told my mom, if she let me go abroad to school, that I promised her I would come home. Little did she know, my promise was real. I came home for a year. And then after that, I got, you know, given the opportunity to work in other countries. And I think just being exposed as when I went to college in Australia and being able to sort of say, and I make a statement saying that when I was in Singapore, I was the majority because being ethically Chinese. So when I went to Australia, even though I was the minority, I behaved like I was the majority because that was the attitude that I brought with me. So I was very vocal, even though I have an accent, I was very communicative in class. I was always speaking up. I took classes that required you to speak up as part of your coursework to be graded. And I love writing essays. So I was always doing research and everything, which again, in hindsight now tells me that, you know, research is important in business because my, in trading, my boss used to tell me numbers don't lie, but liars do numbers. So <laughs> you better, you be very clear as to what you're looking at, because if you don't do your own analysis, it could actually backfire on you. So, you know, long story short, I think the influence in my life, like today's people, you know, they are influenced by social media. I was influenced by, you know, um, media that was at that time, both print as well as TV media, that kind of thing. Yeah, me too. Coming from that generation, uh, it is incredible today just with kids and seeing kind of the influences that they have and some good and some not so good, you realize it shapes you and and what you want to do. And I love the story of seeing some of these American shows and realizing, you know, just to, you know, to make sure that 
that was um, important for you. And I want to ask you, you went to work for Cargill, which is a, a huge company. When was it that you first started to feel or get this entrepreneurial bug? I think as a Singaporean, very few of us get that. You know, we have always been told, told the line, you know, you know, respect your elders, do the work, you'll be recognized, and that's your career path. Uh, and I want to make sure that you understand Oloplex wasn't, isn't my company. I was hired by Advent International yeah. to run it. So I think I was a very good business person in that while I may not have that no founder mentality because I know that I'm not good at that, but as a Singaporean and having gone to school, we are very structured. We are very disciplined. So I, and as a trader, you are very analytical. And, and I think all of that helped me realize that my ambition was to eventually be able to run a business because of all the information and all the experience I'll be gathering. And really, I think I make that decision despite the fact that after trading, I joined PepsiCo in a very much similar role. The only difference was I was helping PepsiCo balance their own foreign exchange in markets that did not have a sophisticated banking system. So like China, Russia, Indochina, and even in Thailand, where the, at that time the baht was packed to the US dollar. So I was working in all of that environment, but then I also realized when I relocated myself to the US, because I could not do that job anymore. My kids were growing up. My husband decided, you know, at that time to move back to Arizona because he's an only child. And so he, he wanted to be closer to family. And that was where I decided that I needed to pivot to CPG. And in Arizona, the only CPG company at that time was the Dial Corporation. So yeah. I joined them from being a director, PepsiCo, which was where I was on the board of director for the China business. And I agreed to, in fact, I remember my boss asking me, are you sure you want to do this? Given that you are going to take a huge pay cut and a huge position backdrop you know, in taking a backseat on that. And I say, look, this is a completely new industry, a new role. I cannot expect to walk in into a senior position. I mm. need to pay my way. And I was willing to do that. And, and hindsight, that was a very critical strategic move on my part, because when I did that, I was tasked with growing international. And when I was tasked with growing international, the only reason why Dial gave me that job was because I was Asian. And they thought that, okay, any Asian person sitting, you know, to understand international. That was the presumption. And I never let them think that they were wrong, right? Right. You are definitely right. So I went on and started opening distributorship. By At that time, there was no social media, right? There was no internet. But I was able to get a trade roster and went down the list for all the key markets and started cold calling some of the major distributors in, in those regions. Until today, many of those distributors are still people that I use and I partner with and I open joint ventures with. And you know that was the beginning and the genesis of it. And even though I wasn't running my own business, it was yeah. like running someone else's business with someone else's money which gave me a lot of courage. <laughs> that was really how it all started. And then from Arizona, uh, from the Dow Corporation, I got an opportunity to work, started working for emerging dermatologist brands. So Dr. Murat, and then I got recruited by private equity to run Dr. Paracone. 
and then Dr. Obaji, Astro Health and Beauty in Atlanta. That was where I took my first CEO role and I left New York to go to Atlanta, Georgia, which was a great move because people in the South, when they ask you, how are you? They're going to wait and listen to your answer. <laughs> how are you? Bye. They're walking, you know, three steps ahead of you. And you're like, ah, I haven't answered. You know, I don't. You mean, you mean unlike where we live today here in New York yeah. City? <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah. So, again, you know, it was it has been a really great journey. But if somebody told me that, Julie, when I grew up, when I was growing up and say, this is your path, I'm going to say, no, you're going to be kidding me. That's not my path. It's amazing. And I really love such a great ex- learning experience for the folks listening that, you know, so many people will tell you, no, why are you doing this? And you end up going to dial, going to Arizona when you probably had multiple other opportunities that much, you know, could have been, although dial was big, larger companies, larger roles. And I love the fact that you were open to it. And the fact that because you were open to it, it led to other doors opening that were probably the reason you now are running this major company, which I'd like to get into and talk about. But I love how the fact that you had that modesty too of saying, and not the arrogance that a lot of people have of like, well, I'm SVP here. You know, I'm not taking a step down. You looked at it smartly as an opportunity, which is incredible. So it sounds like you got more into kind of the health, wellness, beauty end of it. How did, and tell us also, how did the Olaplex opportunity come about to run that business and tell us a little bit about the company? Very well. Thank you so much for that question. So by the time Olaplex presented itself as an opportunity for me, I was already full-time CEO and president of brands, whether it's emerging like Murat, I'm sorry, emerging brands like Strivecton, Astro Health and Beauty, and then president at Elizabeth Arden and also Scrober CEO at Moroccan Oil. So definitely that was a, a, a factor in Oloplex and Advan International who acquired Oloplex was interested in me. It was also my second senior role in a public company and also my fifth private equity brand back <laughs> portfolio. So that means a lot to a private equity because they want somebody who is who understands that there are certain boundaries in operating a business as a private equity-backed brand. So by the time they came to me, I had all that experience. Obviously, having been in Moroccan Oil as their global CEO, I was very familiar with Oloplex. It was one of those iconic brands, a brand that created so much buzz around the hair care prestige industry. But at the same time, very low profile, never really giving a lot of media interviews. Very few people knew what they were, mm. what was bond building about. And I was intrigued you know, by what um, Advan saw in them. And it did not hurt when I found out that Advan was the world's, at that time, fifth largest. And today they are probably even bigger. They just raised $25 billion in wow. fund. But when somebody that established and that smart really wanted to invest in beauty and it's their first beauty brand that they're investing in, I knew that I cannot be smarter than them. They must have seen something that I should also be very vested in. So one thing led to another. We had conversations. I helped with a little bit on, on the back end of the due diligence with my, with my experience with Moroccan oil. And I felt like 
this was a great organization. More importantly, it wasn't just the numbers that were outstanding, but it was the people. When they told me the number of people, I mean, at that time, I was employee number 36. There was only 35 employees prior to me. And at then, through public records, pay, you know, above, slightly above a billion dollars for the brand. I mean, they of the productivity of the individuals. So I told myself, I am going to be able to learn so much more from this team. And hopefully I can help bridge whatever we need to get to. And together we can, instead of one plus one equals to two, we could be one plus one equals to 11. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you constantly finding yourself with 50 tabs open a day, hopping between tools just to do your job? Notion is the most customizable tool that helps teams organize information, manage projects, and get more work done together, all in one place. More than 70% of teams that use Notion stop using two or more tools because they didn't need them anymore. With powerful integrations, an API, and seamless navigation, you'll have everything you need in one spot so you can make speed your advantage without the silos and context switching that slow companies down. Plus, Notion has a worldwide network of millions of users, creating templates, tutorials, and new inspiration. The product is getting better all the time, and you'll always have the support you need. Learn more and get started for free at notion.com slash how success happens. That's notion.com slash how success happens to help you take the first step toward an organized, happier team today. And our next sponsor. As an entrepreneur in a digital world, every task I do is using some sort of web-based technology. This ranges from sending emails, scheduling meetings, to using a virtual tax board. Zapier makes it easy for anyone to get started with business automation. No coding required. Easily connect with over 4,000 of the most popular apps businesses use every day, like Google Sheets, QuickBooks, and Facebook, or Google Ads to automate almost any workflow imaginable. And with thousands of easy to use templates, you can get started fast. The average Zapier user saves over $10,000 in recovered time every year. No wonder over 1.8 million people and businesses use Zapier to streamline their work and find more time for what matters most. See for yourself why teams at Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendesk, and thousands of other companies use Zapier every day to automate their businesses. Try Zapier for free today at zapier.com slash HSH. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash H-S-H. And we're back. What strategies or marketing strategies have you used to get out there now, as you said, it was this incredible brand, but not a lot of people had heard or known about it. So yes. So one of the things that I wanted to do, and my MO has always been when I go into any company, is not to reinvent the wheel. My MO is always, how do I springboard from what a company has built to greater heights? And when I looked at Oloplax, there were three things going for it. It has a product that works. 
backed by patented science technology. It was proven, it was potent, and it was patented. And the third thing that is the community surrounding it. We did an independent study and we found out that there were three sources of truth when it comes to consumers making decisions on buying hair care. First and foremost, overwhelmingly above 60% were recommendations from their hairstylists. 30 some percent were word of mouth from family and friends. And another 30 plus percent was on verified purchase reviews. Everything else paled by comparison, celebrity endorsement, print ad, key opinion leaders, influencer marketing, they were all in low teens or low double digits. So it was very clear to me, the team has the team and the founder had built a foundation for a skyscraper and I am inheriting a single story mm. building. Therefore, I am the beneficiary of everything that has happened. So I just double click and double down on everything that worked for Oloplex. And the very first thing I did was to update the, the website with full blessing from Advent. I joined in January 8th of 2020. And in March 17, 2020, full lockdown, 50% of our business was shut down because those were salons. But that year we ended up being up 87%. How did that, so take me, you come in in January, the world shuts down pretty much, gets there in, in March, right? You are in a business where you said 50% of your products sold through salons. How were you able to grow the business during this time in the last year or two, really? Yes, and so first and foremost, I mentioned the products working and, and really we had a very tight skew assortment. So our productivity was very high. But what really drove us was we talked about our community. That was time to put our money where our mouth is. What we did was we knew 50% of our community was suffering. We created an affiliate program where we asked our community of hairstylists, this is time for you mm. to raise retailing. Because you have clients that love you and you love Oloplex and your clients love Oloplex. Let's together make it work for each other. So we created this affiliate program where they got 35% commission for every product sold. And they started opening their client books. They directed their clients to buy our products and the clients did not get anything. They didn't get a free sample. They didn't get a discount. But the love for their hairdressers was so intense because ask yourself, when you go to your barber or your hairstylist, you talk to your barber or your hairstylist more than you talk to your shrink. For those of us who don't have shrinks, this is our only outlet. We tell them everything and we keep a great secret. They never talk about it. It's so true. I do have plenty of shrinks, especially having two teenage girls uh, at this point. But that's really funny because you do when you see you go to your barber or, or hairstylist, of course, the conversations, I mean, they become trusting friends and confidence. And, you know, you really tell them so much. So it's very interesting to to think that, yes, these people have followings who people who are going to listen to them. It's a genius idea. Had you ever done an affiliate program or ambassador program like this prior to that? 
No, but I mean, it all came together. Again, it's not just me. We had in February, when I, jo- I joined in January, and in February, we had a company-wide meeting. We were all, you know, brainstorming things, introducing each other ourselves. But we had such a small team. There was only 35 of us. We could sit at a round table and brainstorm all day long. And this idea came about not because of COVID. We wanted to kind of see how we can implement it. We were percolating the idea in February. We were updating the website at the same time. And when COVID hit, it became very much the playbook for us. But what was even more important was Advent International also gave us a COVID relief fund by proportionately by the size of the companies that they was under their portfolio. And we were able to use this fund to lend a helping hand, whether it was a car payment, a grocery bill, a rent bill, a mortgage payment. And when we did that, it generated a lot of goodwill. And then remember in May, the U.S. government then said, hair styling, hair salons are considered essential services. So they started opening up. And when they started opening up, they remembered what Oloplex did for them. And they went in droves to really support us and recommended us even more in their services, in their back bar. 70% of salon revenue is generated in services. So when they started embracing Oloplex, it really gave us a great runway to continue to run and grow our business. And I account for it that a lot of why we could do what we do even to today is the reason that we are we resonate with the community that defines us, that stood by us, and we will always stand with them. I love that. What has been the most challenging part? Obviously, joining the company at the time you did, and now hopefully we're on the way out. But what were some of those challenges and or, or most challenging things you encountered in the last uh, two and a half years? I think first and foremost is you see our skill assortment is very, very tight. We are eight years old and we have only have nine skills. So if you think of the discipline that this company always have had, that's why there's always the temptation, you know, to try to do more and thinking that if one skill lab gave us this kind of productivity, maybe three skills would be three times that. But in life, it's not this way. And so just making sure that I maintain that discipline, that strategy, and working with the team to always innovate in getting not only the best in class product, but cutting edge. And that it does not cannibalize what our current offering is, that it complements. I think all of that is something that, that we got to be very mindful. And the other thing is in the last two years, you know, in, in the two years I've been with the organization going into my third year, we also went IPO. Yeah. And I have to constantly remind the team when the market goes up by 20%. It doesn't mean we are 20% smarter. Somebody actually told us that. And if the market goes up by 20%, it doesn't mean you're 20% more dumb. We are still the same person. What you need to do is focus, play the long game, continue to deliver, and we will be fine. And I think the fact that the team coalesce around each other, we all believe it. We have grown from 36, me as an employee number 36, to 130 people as of January of 2022. And I know as CEO, I get the authority. I am CEO, but I have to earn the respect and I have to earn their trust. And I think I could not have asked for a better time that is during COVID to get that respect and that trust from them. Because in good times, it's easy to be loved. 
But in bad times, you really need to make sure you not only take care of your team, the community, but you also need to make sure you are centered and that you can lead a team that has given so much of themselves to this company prior to the acquisition, during COVID, and through it. What was the feeling like of taking this company public? I mean, that's a dream of most, you know, any CEO, founder of a business is, you know, taking a company public. What was that like? Take me back to how, first, why, and uh, and then what it was like going through that experience. So we are a fast growth, high growth, highly cash generated business with a best in class, an industry leading EBITDA margin. It was going to be very difficult for anyone to wrap their head around on who we are. Our story was begging to be told. And going public was a great way not only to tell our story, raise brand awareness, but also to retain and recruit talent. And more importantly, it gave us financial options. Mm. So for all of these reasons were all the right reasons for going public. But I remember the day as it was yesterday when I received a call from my supervisor at Advan, and she asked me, are you ready to be a public company CEO? It's like asking me, are you ready to be a billionaire or a millionaire? <laughs> Obviously, it's a rhetorical question. Yes, I am ready. But be careful what you say yes to. I thought I knew because I have taken a company public that was the on the Obaji side only as a senior executive, but never as the CEO. But it was ve- it's not only rewarding, it's a great learning curve, but the impact that we did with the lives of the, our employees was just very gratifying because it changed lives and it really helped us see ourselves differently. You know how like every time when you think you are the underdog, I almost feel like Oloplex is a Hollywood story waiting to be told. Hmm. Because if you look at all of us, we are pretty good at who we are, as who we are and what we do. But together, we are great. And that, I think, is the magic sauce of who we are. Yeah, it's just incredible The when you look at the total amount of employees and the productivity and revenue. I mean, it's incredible just for what was built and what you added on to and have continued to build is really impressive. And I guess looking ahead and in terms of where you foresee things, obviously it has been choppy markets now. There's been a lot going on with the world economy. How have any of those factors played into your business right now? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think what is very important is we need to continue to do what we do best. That is to keep delivering. We are able to deliver because of our technology, because of our innovation, because of our community, and really our business model. We are truly a synergistic, reinforcing, omni-channel company. When you hear of the word omni-channel, when Harvard had this word, everybody put up their hands and said, oh, we are omni-channel. But truly, a lot of us, were, what, we, what I said is managing channel conflict. As soon as you enter one channel, you are losing business in another channel. You're trying to appease some of the retailers there or the, or the players in the different channels. In our case, It is truly synergistic. And why do I say that? 35% of our customers are actually referred to by the beauty stylist to go buy at brick and mortar and direct to consumer. 
50% of our online customers actually buy at beauty salons as well as in brick and mortar. And it really acts as a flywheel of our continued success because hairstylists, nine, more than 90% of hairstylists are what we call single payroll entity. They are great at their craft, but they're not going to have money to market themselves. So when they have a client walking through their booth or to their studio and say, I want an Oloplex product or I want an Oloplex treatment, it takes the burden away from them from advertising, and which they don't do very much of. So they love the fact that as Oloplex becomes more aware by the consumers and by the people in general, they are the beneficiary. And then it's the same thing with retail because Pro is our credibility credentializer. Retail helps build brand awareness and our direct-to-consumer allows us consumer insights as in the case of Oloplex.com and also 24-7 convenience for our end consumers because they can find us wherever, whenever, and however they want to. Question on on the stylist, because that was a genius move that really, as you've mentioned, was a game saver, it seems like to me, during COVID. And, and not only that, just increased you know, what you did for so many of these folks who were really struggling at that time, and they haven't forgotten that. But how does it work? You know, I know you'll walk into a, a salon or says some of them already have deals, right, with products. How does that work if your stylists, you know, if they're selling a certain product at a salon, but I assume still the stylist can recommend whatever products they want, which is great. Well, the good thing about Oroplex is we are not only front of store, which is the retail products, the take-home uh, products, but we are also in the back bar, meaning that not back bar just by way of shampoo and conditioner, but back bar in an integral part of their service, which is chemical services. And chemical services comprise of hair coloring, bleaching, hair lightening, mm. as well as digital perms and straightening, keratin treatments. And we are applicable in every service as an additive, not as an additional step. Doesn't take away time. And more importantly, as the additive to their chemical services, because we are bond building and bond hair bonds repairing, we are able to elevate their artistry without fear of the hairstylist or the colorist fearing that any kind of chemical services, the first thing that happens to hair when you go through a chemical service, no matter how healthy your hair is, is your hair starts breaking. That's the number one fear of the hairstylist. There is a reason why when you go into a professional hair salon and they take you to the wash bowl, there's no mirror in front of you because the last thing the colorist or the stylist wants you to see is their face in that mirror as they're unfold packing the foil. So Oloplex took that fear away, gave their clients consistent and repeatable results, and more importantly, raised their craft and their artistry. And when you have that kind of opportunity to really give people their craft that much more definition and the, the understanding that they, they don't have to second guess themselves, that's priceless. For you personally, how have you felt and in, in, has it been stressful being the CEO of a, a public company as opposed to one that was private? I think for me, 
it is not much difference other than the fact that there's a lot more investor calls, a lot more, you know, when we are doing earnings calls, it's a lot more public facing. But I feel an immense responsibility because everything that we do is going to be a reflection on the stock price at some stage. I mean, currently, I feel like the geopolitical, the macroeconomics is beyond our control. Right. But there will come a time when we are more seasoned, when we are more established. What we say, what we do could be impacting the, the, the stock price. So I feel an immense responsibility to become, to not only become, but to be really available to the team, to let them know that I am still the same person, that together we are truly stronger. And I have this, you know, sort of immense feeling when I tell them this, that, you know, I am really more than what I thought I could ever be because of them. And I can never let, I can never forget that because as soon as I forget that, that is going to be the beginning of the end for myself. And as long as I remember where I stand and it's primarily because of the team and because of Oloplax, that I think will keep me honest, will check me when I get too inflated and more importantly, know where my North Star is. I'm here to serve the team. I'm here to serve the consumers and ultimately the shareholders. For you personally, before I let you go, in terms of where you've come from, and as you talked about starting out where you really didn't have an option to what you want to say, but but you really, you just seemed to me just went for it. And you you really, you made it happen for yourself, which I think in, in being a, a business leader, entrepreneur, CEO, I mean, you really have to just go for it. What do you think it was or is in you that has always driven you to want to succeed? You know, if you want to take the not so serious uh, answer, it will be my name. (laughs) Parents gave me a name in Chinese. It means whatever I want or whatever my heart desires, I will get. And when you are given a name like this, you better live up to it. <laughs> so that's the kind of the funny side of it. But I always believe that there's a reason behind every name. But the other small serious end of it is that I think I've always felt that while I am not going to say I will leave a legacy anywhere, I feel like when I do well, I want to do good. And I've always been that way. Even when I was a little kid, my, I would save up my pocket money and I would donate a portion of it. And my mom would ask me, why do you do that? And I say, look, I can, I could, because I have this money that I have. I remember saving up money to buy my Girl Scout uniform in Singapore. We call it Girl Guides. And it was enough to buy the uniform. And somebody came up to me and was telling me a story about their family. And I know the family really well. And I went to their home. The uniform was only $19. $19 wasn't a lot. But I felt like I could, to me, $19 was a lot at that time. So I gave the family my $19. My mother obviously was furious with me. But I think that has always been in me. And I want to, the better I do, I feel like it's not about me anymore. It's about the opportunity to do good for the larger community. And it's my own little small way. And if everybody did that, I believe that little drops make the ocean. You look at politicians when they go raise funds. It's not the multi- you know, they can't get a lot of money from just rich individuals. But if all of the people supported them, that 
is more material and more meaningful. I don't want to be a politician, but that's the analogy I'm giving. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to be one anymore. Last question before I let you go. Being of Asian descent, a minority woman, at least here in the United States, and certainly I imagine with CEOs of, of public companies, what have some of those challenges have been? Has it, has it been hard for you? Have you noticed discrimination at all? Have you had to work around that? I think for me, it's a little bit more fortunate. I'm not in, you know, 10 years ago, yes, maybe I would have felt a lot more. But 10 years today, people are a lot more aware they are also giving themselves the benefit of the doubt to say, look, I may not know what to say to her. I may overstep. I may, I may offend her. Let me have a conversation. And there are people who are willing to listen. And I think what is very important for me too is how I started. I mentioned that I, I, I was the majority in Singapore. I am the minority yeah. here. But my attitude hasn't changed. So I don't see myself that way. And perhaps they may think that, but they cannot manifest it where they could have done it, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So I count my, my blessing and I know that not everybody is as fortunate as I am. People have, you know, my friends who are American-born Chinese have told me they felt more discriminated yeah. than I have felt. And I think it's because they were born thinking and knowing that they, they are the minority. And when you wear that hat, it makes you react and behave differently. And so yeah. I feel that I have a responsibility as well to really help with the minorities, be it Asian, be it Hispanic, be it, you know, Black executives. I can always have my story to tell. And maybe they can look at me and say, if you can overcome that because of your mindset, mm. so everything is actually in your head. Yeah. And they can also change their mindset, even though they did not have those fortunate circumstances that I started with as being majority in Singapore. But you're right. It just shows you how you had that mindset. And it's just so amazing how something at such an early age plays out for your life. And years later, that because you felt as the majority and in place there, that it carried you through where others aren't as fortunate. But you really, that's what it comes down to, right? Because a lot of times when people don't start a business or don't go for a job or don't try and do something, a lot of times they fall back on on those fears that they were, happened as as children, right? And that's why psychiatrists are making a lot of money now. But in any case, your story is so inspiring because it just shows that you there's probably others that don't have the same attitude who've traveled, but like you've kept that in you. And it seems like that's kind of your superpower for you to really keep proceeding and climbing up the, you know, the ladder, getting to the top. Well, I hope so. I hope I will always continue to learn, always appreciate what I have and knowing that, you know, the future is still very, very bright. It totally is. And Julie, thanks for coming on uh, How Success Happens Really enjoyed the conversation and best of luck to you and Olaplex and keep doing what you're doing because you guys are doing well. Well, thank you so much. And hopefully you get a great time in your daughter's graduation. I remember those moments. I, I still remember my girl in pigtails. Every time I see her now, 
and now I see my grandkids in pigtails. So yeah, it is an amazing, yeah. As, uh, Julie's saying, my daughter's graduating, uh, middle school tonight and uh it time flies and in any case you, you'll be one of the uh guests that i have on that they actually will enjoy uh you know it's always we had the woman on from dry bar and i had the the guy who started uh, paul mitchell paul yeah. don DeGuria, and you know it's it's always those ones that they get excited about it's never you know, I had Alex Rodriguez from the Yankees and, you know, none of that, but for you and especially my girls, cause they are girls, they just got their hair done for the summer oh. and, uh, they're, um, I don't even know what you call it. I'm, I'm, as you can notice, I'm probably the, the last guy who should be doing any podcasts around hair, but what was, uh, they just had a procedure done, I guess, for the summer to keep it straight. Oh, um, treatment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they'll be, they'll be excited to know I spoke with you and someone who's ahead of such a, a major business in this well, thank space. Thank you so much for having me. I know that there are a lot of guests that can, you know, that you could invite and you thought of me. So I'm very appreciative. Well, your story is incredibly aspiring. And I can tell just by saying that, why you've been so successful and uh, we get a lot of arrogant people i will say and you are certainly not one of them so thank you so much and continued success for you down the road thank you so much you take care bye and that's our episode if you like what you heard please subscribe to how success happens wherever you get your podcasts we come out with a new episode every wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it and if you like to share please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.